So I want to share with you some thoughts on an impossible Cedra. It's impossible. It's just too much going on and everything has been said already. Everything has been said. So for us to dig into something, all I can do is tell you what came up for me over the course of this Shabbos. So I'm going to share with you a tragic thought, the first one. And the tragic thought is right at the end of the Bible. Lo kam navi od b'Yisrael. There was never a prophet in Israel, Kamoshe, like Moses. Asher yeda'u Adonai panim el panim. Never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses. This is from Deuteronomy 34.10. It's the last parasha. It's the last chapter of the Bible. And on this tragic verse, the Medrash says something really disturbing. And there shall not arise in Israel again a prophet such as Moses. And it's being medayek on the word Israel. We know it's Israel. Why are you telling us that? It should have said, lo kam navi od kamosheh. There was never going to be a prophet like Moses. What do you mean in Israel? It's a redundancy. We've been talking about Israel. The whole Bible is about Israel. And so the Medrash says, well, yes, in Israel, there shall not arise again a prophet like Moses. But among the nations, there will arise a prophet like Moshe. And who was he? Bilam, the son of Baal. Bilam, the son of Baal. And they saw the difference between prophecy of Moses and prophecy of Bilam. I just was totally blown away by that medrash, meaning that Bilam never is criticized in the Bible. We are assuming that he gets divine oracles. Nowhere does he get criticized until medrash and rabbinics. Now, if we look at Devorim, I'm coming at this from the outside, okay? If we look at Pasha's Devorim, we have three chapters in Bamidbar talking about this Bilam and Bolok and Bolok and Bilam. When you come to Devorim and Moshe is looking back at this whole pericope in this episode, look what he says. We get two verses, three Chapters of numbers get whittled down to two verses. The Midianites and Moabites didn't let you go through. And then the next thing. Bilam wanted to curse you, and God did not listen, pay attention to Bilam, So the purpose, according to Moshe Rabbeinu, at the end of his life, at the last speech he gives, when he recounts the episode before Midian and Balak and Bilam's oracles, he whittles it down into two statements. One, God completely turned around, did not allow himself to be listening to the curses of Bilaam, meaning Bilaam was a soothsayer and he wanted to curse you. 
and I would not listen to his curses. In fact, what I did was I switched them to bracha. And why did I do it? Because God's love for Am Yisrael. That is how it's whittled down. So we really need to look at this whole story episode in the light of um, Moshe's recounting of the episode in Tabarim. Now, something happened in 1967 that I want to show with you before we dive into the text, because it is of such importance that it changed for the first time uh, the way we actually looked at the Bible in terms of extra biblical evidence for what took place in the Bible. We have very, very little archaeological evidence, but here, in this Deir Allah tell, we found the following inscriptions. A Dutch expedition under Franken discovered these fragments of inscriptions on a plaster in a Transjordanian site called Tel Deir Allah, about five miles east of the Jordan, not far from the northern bank of the Yabok River that flows into the Jordan. In the Hebrew Bible, this place is known as Semek Sukkot, the Valley of Sukkot, Amek Sukkot. And that's, we see that in Psalm 60 and Genesis 33. Many of the plaster fragments were restored in the manner of a jigsaw puzzle, as you can see here. And the resulting combinations were published it back only in 1976, 11 years later. Composed in a language similar to biblical Hebrew and dated to the late 9th and early 8th centuries BCE. Unbelievably old. The inscriptions attest to the name of a seer by the name of Bilam Berbar, Balam the son of Baor, for the first time in an extra-biblical source of the biblical period. And so the Deir Allah inscriptions tell us how this Bilam Barbaor was referred to as a divine seer, a choser, and he was visited at night in a dream by gods who revealed to him that an impending misfortune would devastate the land. The seer, greatly distressed at this news, assembles his people to disclose to them what he's learned. And in these inscriptions, Bilom is depicted as a heroic figure who strove to save his people and the land. And in content and style, the inscriptions noticeably resemble the Balam pericope that we're going to discuss. So that any discussion of the role of Bilom in biblical literature must henceforth take the Deir Allah inscription into account. Absolutely stunning discovery showing the extra biblical proof of this character. Now, his, this character gets a completely different hue when we come to the monotheistic Bible. So let's now dive into a couple of texts, just a couple of psukim that grabbed me. So 
if you turn to chapter 24, which is the third and last oracle, it begins, Vayar Bilom ki tov Adonai levarech et Yisrael. So Bilom by this time realized that it was, it was good in the eyes of Yudke Vavke uh, to bless them. Now, this time, when he went up to the top of the Pisgah on Peor, he did not go to his divinations, Nechashim, to divine. But what he did is, Vayoshes el Hamidbar, he just faced the wilderness. Vayisa Bilom et Einav, and he opened his eyes. We're going to come back to the eyes of Bilom. Today, my, my podcast is called The Monocular Vision of Bilam. He cast it by Yar Es Yisrael Shochen Lishvatav, and he saw Israel dwelling according to its tribes, the three on each side around the Mishkan. And now he became inspirited with God. And now, just like it says in the other three times, he declaimed his parable and said, The words of Bilam, the son of Baor. And now it adds, The words of the man, and I highlighted, What on earth does that mean? So Alter says something beautifully, he translates it. The utterance of Balaam Baor's son, the utterance of the man open-eyed, open-eyed. The utterance of him who hears God's sayings, who the vision of Shaddai beholds. And then he says, Unum hageva shesum ha'ayin, prostrate with eyes unveiled. Oh, so poetic. Again, shesum ayin. Nuum Shomea Imre El, he hears the utterances of God, Hashem Machze Shaddai, no fell uglum enaim, while fallen and with uncovered eyes. Fallen, what's that mean? The unveiled eyes hark back to the unveiling of Bilom's eyes by the Lord's messenger. A certain irony, Walter says, is generated by the link between the two texts. He doesn't see the donkey. Balaam's declaration here of his visionary power comes to remind us of his blindness when he was incapable of seeing what his ass plainly saw until the Malach Elohim intervened. So what does prostrate means? Nofel ugluinayim, fallen and with prostrate eyes unveiled. So he says, nofel refers to the state of ecstasy in which the seer is flung to the ground. There are abundant indications elsewhere in the Bible that this sort of falling was expected as a consequence of the descent of the spirit on the seer or the prophet. Thus spaketh Alter. <laughs> I think in Caesar it says, Cassius says, me think he hath the falling sickness. <laughs> this is the falling when the spirit of prophecy enters. Now let's look at Rashi. And now we come away from the Pshat 
And Rashi is quoting the Sifri and he's quoting the Gemara. Shesum ha'ayin with pierced eyes. Now the Gemara takes this very literally. Eino nakuva. Literally, one of his eyes was punctured. Umot and was taken out. And was taken out the Chorshela, out of its socket. Nira patuach, so it looked open. Ulashon mishnahu, and it's a mishnaic language, the word shatum. Sheyishtom v'yishtom v'yigov. It's a mishnah of Zora, speaking of opening and sealing a barrel of wine. You open it, then you seal it and dry it. Yishtom. Or, Rabbaseinu Omru, and this is our rabbis who said, that's now we're going to quote the Gemara in Sanhedrin, because Bilam, it said earlier in chapter 2310, and you all know this because it's famous, we learn it in school, Mi mana afar Yaakov, who can count the dust of Jacob? Umispar et rova Yisrael, and who could count the numbered a quarter of even a quarter of Israel, Rova Yisrael, Umispas Rova Yisrael. And so Rashi there says, Rova, it doesn't mean a quarter, one of the divisions of Israel in the wilderness. Here he continues to the Tanhuma that uses the word Rova in a sexual sense. Rova means copulation, multiplication, mating. And the Tanchuma says, Bilam is amazed with not only the numbers of Israel, but the way Israel made those numbers, the mating, the offspring that emerges from their relationships. He's, he's referring to the commandments which Israel performs with the soil and the dust, and to the commandments relating to sexual relations, to say that even in the areas of life to which regular people appear very low, Israel brings forth and sanctifies, according to the Maharal. So here in our Rashi, Ulafi Rabbaseinu Omro, Umispa Rova Yisrael numbered the matings, I'm taking that in the metaphorical, not in the quarter, but in the matings of Israel, Mosai Tovo Tipo. What happens? He sees a vision of the Reboina Shaloilam. Shahakodesh Borochu Yoshev Umone Reviosan. He's sitting upstairs and counting the nights of lovemaking of Am Yisrael. Umone Reviosan, counting them. Mosai Tovo Tipo Shenoilod at Sadik Mimeno. To see when will come the drop of semen from which this tzaddik will be born. And Omar Belibos. So Bilam says in heart, Misha who Kodosh, someone who is that holy, that removed from this world, that transcendent. Umasharsov Kadoshim. And he only deals with angelic worlds. He's going to go look in people's bedrooms and see what's going on when hanky-panky is taking place to see what's going on with the drops of semen. 
and Aldovo there, because he critiqued that, Nit mace a no shilbilom. His eye was blinded. Rashi is giving us a dramatic explanation of the shasum enov, the piercing of the eye. The piercing of the eye was because mido keneged mido, the way he was crit criticizing God's lowering himself, lowering himself in order to look at the hanky-panky, the relations of Am Yisrael, of the men and women, that critique resulted in him being blinded in one eye. That's the Shusum Einlov. The Yesh Mephorashim, and there are those who say, Shusum Ha'ai means the opposite, open-eyed, the way Alter translated it. Okay. Then Nofel Uglu'enaim, that goes along with what Alter says. Noifel Alponov, he would fall on his face, Lefi Shehu Orel, because he was uncircumcised, and it would be disgusting for him to be revealed the Mokham's Gufa. Okay, that is what Rashi is telling us. And I would like to go to where Rashi got it from, which is the Gemara in Sanhedrin. And the Gemara in the Sanhedrin 105 has a whole back and forth on Moab and the prophecy of Moab. And the Gemara says, Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Bilam Bilam was lame in one of his feet. Shenem, as it says, Vayelach Shefi. Numbers 23. Normally, Shefi means he walked alone. But here it's translated as limping from the word shof, which means to slip or to become disjointed. Now, the Marashah says something interesting. He says that he is lame because his leg had been crushed when the donkey crushed him against the wall on the road to Moab. And in spite of his pain, Bilam was so anxious to curse the Jews that he proceeded on his journey until he came to Moab. Vayelach Shefi, he came to Moab Shefi, limping. He probably had a femoral fracture against the wall. Shimshon Bishtei Raglov. Samson was laid in both of his legs. Shenema Shvifon Ale Orach Hanoshech Ikveisur. So you can see that that word Shefi already by Samson means lame. Now let's go to the interesting part of this Gemara where Rashi got his statement. Suma ba'achas me'enov hoyo. He was blinded in one of his eyes, as it states in our posuk, shesum ha'ayin. The eye was open, indicating, according to the Gemara, that whose one eye, shesum ha'ayin, only one eye was open because the other eye was closed because he had described himself as the man with the open eye, Numbers 24.3, meaning that only one of his eyes was open. Only one of his eyes could see. The other eye was closed or blind, according to uh, Rashi. And here is the source for the Gemara stating that he was blind in one eye. Absolutely stunning, because there was nothing in the Pshat that to suggest that, and so what's going on. And so we have to dig deeper beyond the world of Agadita and to see what this could mean possibly for us. 
And the Hasidic masters pick up on these two midrashim. The first midrash being that Bilam was blown away by the fact that God had reduced himself to looking into the bedrooms of Am Yisrael. He just couldn't get over that. And really, what was his problem? His problem is that there is a divine world and there is a human world, and the two should not meet. And the Hasidic masters pick up on Bilam as, a, as an amazing misnagid. <laughs> There's the world of the divine, and that's transcendent and holy and removed from the dirty, lowly aspects of human reproduction, the lowly vegetative functions of the human beings and the animal world, the animal-like uh, aspects of a human being. And they make <laughs> Bilam into this misnagid. And I'm going to read first from the Ohev Yisrael, the Abderov, and he says, I know it's not pshat, I know it's not drush, it's p'derech remez. There are four levels of interpretation. That came straight out of Tanchuma, that Rebbein Shalom is busying himself, looking when men and women are getting together in order to see which drop will produce the next tzaddik. And this particular instance is what blinded him physically, metaphorically. He was blinded by this concept of a pantheistic notion of the divine that is soaking in the world that's even involved and interested in the lowly vegetative functions of the world. Someone like God who is pure. He should be absolutely involved in such dirtiness. As it says, that's quoting the Merish. Now listen to him. The Aptarov, the Heilige Aptarov says Azoi. Bilam wanted to, to curse us and to do evil to Am Yisrael in any way possible. So he thought, he schemed, he thought, you know something? I can he says, I'm going to go back to conception and I'm going to find something about the conception of a yid. I will find a flaw in the holy souls of Am Yisrael in the very fact that they were born, like Paul says, from the copulation and the disgusting animal from the taiva, from the desire, the improper desire of a man for a woman, which is so lowly, I will find the flaw in the creation of their souls from that moment of conception. You should know that the Ishbits picked up on this. And he said that, what is the definition of Dveikas? 
The dveikas is God consciousness. And, and the purpose in Hasidut of dveikas, unlike in Misnagdim, Reb Chaim is a whole different definition of dveikas. But for, uh, for the Hasidic world, dveikas means God consciousness at all times. At all times, even when you're eating and drinking and sleeping, there has to be das, which is God consciousness. So the Ishbit says, but at the moment of making love, at the height of love, by definition, you can't think of it. You won't be able to perform. So you have to have a momentary lapse in God consciousness at that moment of ecstasy. And he says the most amazing thing. He says, by the mitzvah of Hakel, there is a unique mitzvah of coming up on the regel to Yushalayim. And for that mitzvah, the women and the children are brought along. That is for the mitzvah of bringing the korban chagiga. That's only the males. But the once a year mitzvah of hakel, where everyone comes up for the birkas kohanim, Men and the women, so he says, why the children? They're not even bardas. Why would you schlep them all the way up to Yushalayim? He says, because you're being metaken that moment when that baby was produced. It's a stunning vort, the Ishbit says. There is that moment of conception where you have to have hesechdas from the Reboi Shalom. You have to be so completely involved in the Gashmias that that is a moment. So Bilam says, I'm going to get them at that moment, that moment of conception. Mitzad tavas av That moment of taiva, of desire, animal desire. I'll chop them over there. The Abderov says, you know, he wasn't talking philosophy. Oh God, why are you up there and busying yourselves with the hanky-panky down here. No, he's bringing to attention to God that moment of lack of awareness of God consciousness. He was trying to de denigrate the zivugim and the marital bliss of Am Yisrael Gufom to do it from the side of their bodily functions in which by definition they had to have a lapse of God conscious. That's what he wanted to do. And it's a stunning way of looking at that Rashi. Now let's go back to why was he blinded in one eye? And I want to share with you the last interpretation of Rashi, the penetrating eye again. His eye was bored out and had been extracted and its eye socket could be seen to be owed. Okay. But then the other said, meaning God himself was occupying himself with the counting of issues of marital life of Israel, awaiting the time when a righteous man will be born. He therefore said, does God so holy and his ministers are holy direct his mind to such matters on account of that Bilam's eye was blinded. What does double vision give you? Having a second eye gives you depth perception. And the Gemara in Chagiga says a person who is summa ba'achas be'naim cannot go ole l'regel. Why? The Gemara says, sholosh pamim bashana yei ro'e kol Three times a year, your 
males shall be seen in the nifal, shall be seen. It's in Pasha's Kisiso in uh, Shishi. Shall be seen, yei And so the Medrash says, the Gemara and Chagiga says, yei shall be seen by who? By God. Just like God has two eyes, so too you have to have two eyes when you're Euler Regal. So a summa, someone who's blinded in one eye, isn't potter from bringing a Chorum Chagiga because of the literal reading of the verse, Yehroe. It's very disturbing tomorrow for me. So someone who's blinded in one eye, who has a cataract, can't go up because God's perfect vision requires two eyes. So I wanted to suggest that the depth perception is what's at stake here. God is saying to us, when you're coming to me, Oile Regel, you have to have depth perception. You need both your eyes to see beyond the text, beyond the halacha, beyond the surface of coming up to Yushalayim to have a nice family trip, to bring a carbon, to have a good meal, to have fun, meet your friends, have a drink. No, no, no. You got to have depth perception. What does it mean, Euler Regal? What does it mean to come to Yushalayim? Yushalayim is the heart. Three times a year, we have to recharge the batteries of the heart. That requires going beyond the halachic requirements. It requires depth perception. Now, I want to take that insight, which was my insight, and I want to bring it to the Spinker Rebbe. And I want to share with you, lastly, his insight. This is our monocular vision that he's quoting from. And the Gemara Sanhedrin Kufhei says, Bilam sumu baches shenema shesum. So he quotes the Gemara in Sanhedrin. This is the Biure Imre Yosef on our Persia. And Vuhuva Papashas Rashi, and we've done that already. We went through that. So, Yeshloimer, and now he brings this down to the avoider of a yid in Tvekas. Not the way Ishbitz does it in a very dark manner regarding the intimacy of a, of a yid with his wife, but now he brings it into a highly philosophical notion of as I approach Dveikus, there's a two-step approach. And Bilom knew that. <laughs> he knew about Chazidim already. The Kojnitz are Magid. Now he is quoting the Rebbe from Koshnitz, the appropriate path in spirituality before I daven, before I do mitzvahs, the prerequisite to come to Torah, this is Tanya 101, right? You, before you start davening, you have to have his boininess, a meditation, on the greatness of the cosmos and its creator. And he was the creator of the entire cosmos and the hosts and the spiritual worlds. And from all of that, is the avoidus ha'odomashofel. That for the, the, the sake of the whole creation of the cosmos, the Rabbonishal Olam's whole purpose in creating all this amazing stuff is 
for the worship of this lowly man that he picks up his tefillin and his tzitzis and he davens every morning. That's what the world was created for. Ubecholzos, now number two in the worship process. Zorich Lizko. Now you might think, oh, look at me. God created the world just for me. Look at me. He has to remember his lowliness and his sins from his early night childhood to have a broken heart. And it requires these two pillars in your Avodah Hashem. You can't just look at me. I'm a big Talmud Chochem and the world was created for me. And you can't just say, I'm a Gornish, I'm a nothing, and I'm full of shame. You need the balance, the knife edge. The Yidda Kodesh had a, 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 an amazing pupil. He was a businessman and a pharmacist, Reb Simcha Bunim of Pshischa. And he said, in one pocket, I have a petek that says, Bishvili Nivraha Olam. <laughs> the world was created for me, and I keep it in my right pocket. And in my left pocket, I have another petek, and it says, Abraham says to God, what are you, coming to me? Who am I? I'm just dust and ashes. And I keep those two pockets in, in my pockets. I have to keep reminding myself. This isn't an easy task. What man has accomplished technologically, Soloveitchik's man, Adam one, through science and industry and everything and building if they don't collapse. And on the other hand, addiction, and we're subject to the addict within us and without us, and we're just human. Those two live on that knife edge. <clears throat> and now comes the Spinker Rebbe and says, Um non mishe mispalel v'yoved Hashem rak v'machshev es gudula saboyre. Now, what happens if you just take the right pocket and and serve God like a good, good chabadzka, and he does his isboinus on the gudulas haboyre, but he doesn't do step two, which is maktin es atzmo, make yourself small, and, and so he gets arrogant. Baruch Hashem, Ani Mispalel, V'yosik Torah Mitzvahs. Look at me, look at me, Baruch Hashem. This is what I've accomplished. Alzeh Isa B'Soif Tikkuni Zoya, Sumo B'Achas Me'ena Potu Minari. This is what the Zoya says, quoting the Gemara and Chagiga, that uh, he's, he's blind in one of the eyes. The right eye is to say how great God is. The left eye is to say how bad I am. That's the function of the two eyes in the Zoyar. If you have only one eye and you think how great this is, you don't have maktinesatsum, you didn't make yourself some, you're potter from going to Yerushalayim. Oile l'regel, you're potter. Ki odom tzorich liftoach enov. The spinker says a person has to open up his both his eyes, both his pockets. Achas listakel al gevoz and ashnia lizchos katanesatsmo. One to remember the greatness of God and one to remind himself of his smallness. Now he brings it back full circle to Bilom. Bilom sumo ba'achas me'enov. 
Rotsaloyme, so what does that mean now, according to this Hasidic interpretation? He knew of the greatness of the Boira. He was a seer. He was a soothsayer. He had access to the divine. Remember, we started out pericope today with comparing the last verses of the Torah in which says, Lo kom Yisrael, od komosha, od novi, the Yisrael lokom. But the Umar Sa'olam did have a novi on the level of Moshe. And that was Bilam. He had access to the divine. But he was blinded in one eye because Rucho Gavo but he didn't have that second eye of humility. And that's why you know, he's, he, he's, he yells at the ass. He's blinded by his own arrogance. And so the take home message for us today is the monocular vision of Bilom is now brought by the Hasidic master to teach us a lesson thousands of years later as we pour over the manuscripts and the parchments and fragments of Deir Salam that we too have to live that schizofrumkeit, that understanding that being chosen is not the way it's portrayed, that we are the chosen people because of greatness, but because we live on that knife edge uh, between being open and accessing the divine and being given this gift of our mythical rituals of behavior, Torah and Avoda, but at the same time, always reminding ourselves that we are human, that there are moments of indiscretion and moments where we have absence of the divine God consciousness. Have a wonderful fast, have a wonderful week. We should meet with blessings.